Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's episode... We are continuing our talk from last week's episode with Dr. Rebecca Seagrave. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that as well. Dr. Seagraves and I talked about the need for physical therapy and occupational therapy for postpartum patients before they leave the hospital. In today's episode, we're talking about what happens immediately after and even four years or 10 years or 40 years after you leave the hospital. So to help me out with this conversation, I'm really happy to bring on to the podcast Dr. Laura Williams. She is a doctor of physical therapy, board certified women's health clinical specialist. She lives and practices in Salida, Colorado with her husband, three-year-old daughter and second child on the way. Laura founded Hearth Healing, a 100% virtual postpartum healing service in 2022 as a consult as a pelvic health consultant though not a substitute for in-person health care postpartum healing consultations should be viewed as a vital way to bridge the gap in maternal care people deserve information about how to improve symptoms that impact their quality of life after childbirth without having to wait months or feel limited by a lack of child care transportation at heart Laura provides individualized answers to postpartum healing questions, early healing strategies, self-management advice, and guidance on appropriate resources, products, and providers. So in this podcast, Laura and I discuss the need and importance of physical therapy and occupational therapy after childbirth. We discuss the differences between common and normal occurrences in the postpartum period, Laura also mentions that it's not necessary for certain problems such as urinary leakage and diastasis recti to be permanent and that surgery is not always required. Additionally, she explains that new parents are often not given any information about their bodies, which leads to myths and misunderstandings about postpartum recovery. So a big thank you to Dr. Laura Williams for continuing the conversation from last week. Everyone enjoy today's episode. Hey, Laura, welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited to have you on today to kind of continue a conversation that I started last week with Dr. Rebecca Seagraves. We were speaking about the true need for physical therapy and occupational therapy in the hospital for people after giving birth. And today we're going to talk about, well, what happens when you leave the hospital? What happens in that postpartum period after that. And that's where you come in. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And let's start with a question as we were speaking before we went on (laughs) that we get a lot. And that is, what is the difference between a common occurrence and a normal occurrence in the postpartum period? Yes, this is a hot topic. Um, So as pelvic PTs, we really want this higher standard for everybody after childbirth, right? We don't accept this sort of generational knowledge that's been passed down that certain things are just a rite of passage of having children, right? It's like our, it's our burden to bear the suffering after, after childbirth, because we know more and like science has taught us more. And 
we know how resilient our bodies are and that we're capable of healing. So, um, you know, a big one is that it's normal to leak every time you cough and sneeze during and after childbirth. So no, you do not have to pee a little bit forever. This is like my number one soapbox. Um, it's, it is really common to have some urinary leakage after just the distension of the pelvic floor and that sort of lack of pressure management right after having a baby, particularly after vaginal childbirth. Um, but it shouldn't persist. It shouldn't persist beyond six weeks postpartum. And it certainly shouldn't be persisting decades later. And if it recurs, this is also something that isn't just because you had babies. There's some other like level of dysfunction going on. Um, the fact that intercourse will be painful forever. Really common that intercourse doesn't feel awesome when you have a lot of scar tissue in your pelvic floor after you ripped a baby out of that space, right? And you had stitching and things are in a little bit of a new organization, but um, sex does not have to be painful. And there are a lot of things we can do so that it's not. And God forbid it be like actually enjoyable someday or something that we look forward to and don't just endure. Um, diastasis recti is a big one. So a diastasis is a really, really common and normal thing that happens during most pregnancies. Um, we don't diagnose it as a diastasis unless it's beyond two centimeters or two finger widths. Um, but it's not something that can't heal. It's not something that should be persistent long-term. Um, it can absolutely close. Our tissue is tensile for a reason. We have the ability to close that diastasis and it does not require surgery to be managed. So there's a time and place for surgical repair of a diastasis. And that's a really particular instance of severity, but that's the exception to the rule. So if you see a surgeon before you see a physical therapist and they tell you that you need surgical closure of a diastasis, that's jumping the gun. Um, and then I hear these extremes like, oh, I just want to start running at four weeks after having a baby, or I'll never be able to run again after having a baby because I'm mm -hmm. peeing my pants when I run or mm -hmm. it's too painful, right? So there's this gray area that those things are common to feel those ways, um, but it's not, your body's not necessarily ready at either of those times and we have to set a foundation or I hear like don't activate your core for 12 weeks after having a baby right well that's not possible either because you have to pick up your child and you have to pick up a car seat so we have to engage right. our muscles right so that's just a few <laughs> yeah yeah and some of them you're like wait what yeah so what why are these sort of common myths being persisted so what what information is not getting to new parents or to, you know, these new postpartum patients, if you will, or people, what are they missing? What are they not getting about their bodies? What information isn't getting to them that is likely persisting these myths and beliefs? I don't think people are really getting any information Hence, hence going, going back to Rebecca Seagraves, our conversation yes. last week about, Hey, let's give some information in the hospital, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's a big disparity that's happening. Um, people are being discharged from the hospital after having a, any form of any mode of delivery, right. With an abundance of information about how to take care of their infant. I often say like, we leave the hospital knowing how to delineate every single shade of our infant's poop, but nothing about our own bodies. Um, 
And like, we're just not told anything. So then we go home and we're sort of left to our own devices to sift through this, you know, unbelievable amount of information on the internet. Um, right. Facebook groups, uh, you know, mommy and me groups, things like that, that exactly. might not be the most accurate information. Exactly. Or just straight up like scrolling Instagram and TikTok at 3 a.m., you know, and seeing something that resonates with you and drawing for um, strings and, and hoping that something is right. So the problem is that there isn't a one size fits all approach to recovery and we need individualized information. Um, there is really, really phenomenal information at our fingertips now, which is a blessing, but it, but it's not all right for everybody at every stage of healing. Um, so what we need to be, you know, this, this lack of good information is happening because people are chatting with those, their friends and those mommy groups or hearing from their mothers and their mother's mothers that this is the way it was for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and if everyone around me is peeing a little, when they sneeze, then that just must be normal. That just must be like my lot in life now, you know? So there isn't this interception of really good evidence-based information. And I was going to ask the question of, well, what should people do if they're experiencing the experiencing these common, but not normal, um, symptoms, shall we say, after childbirth. Most people, like you said, they're going to go to social media, which we know there is a lot of research on social media, YouTube, things like that. What is the danger, I guess, in just going to YouTube or to social media, seeing an influencer and the influencers just do Kegels? What's the problem? What's the harm in that? What's the problem there? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, I don't want to say harm necessarily, because I think finding something that resonates with you, finding someone that's speaking a language that speaks to you that, oh, that person's experiencing what I'm experiencing, that makes me feel seen, right? Anything we can do to destigmatize these issues, and be vocal about them and, and just speak the truth about them, empowers women, right? Empowers people in their postpartum time. Um, but the problem is that, again, like there is no one size fits all approach. So if if the message is you just need to do Kegels because all of your dysfunction is coming from a weak pelvic floor without ever having someone evaluate the strength of your pelvic floor, you may actually be on the other end of the spectrum, which is more often than not what we find in pelvic floor examination, which is that pelvic floors that have experienced trauma, chronic pain, their response to that is to guard just like any other trauma that we experience, right? Mm -hmm. We don't open wide up, we shut down and we close off. And so that's what happens to those, those muscles that have range and coordination, just like any other muscles in our body. Um, and so we really need to know, like, what is my particular circumstance? How is my body functioning that is leading to these episodes, which may be different than you know, someone next to me having the same result, right? That same leakage, but it could be coming from two different problems. So we're not addressing that root problem. Um, so what people, what we'd love for people to do, right, is from, you know, where Rebecca and I stance as healthcare professionals and yours is like, we want people to be getting better information before they leave the hospital. Mm -hmm. We want people to be getting fundamental information about their bodies. 
What is the extent of their injuries? That is an inherent right for people to know. We're so afraid to be honest with women, right? Be honest with postpartum people because we, we think they're like fragile and they'll break if we tell them the truth about their bodies. They just had a baby. I was going to say, they just pushed a human being out <laughs> they of them. Just, they are not exactly. fragile. <laughs> exactly. They're actually incredibly resilient because now they're going to go home after doing this unbelievable superhuman thing and care for that infant and like make food with their bodies, you know? So they're really resilient, but the, the key that unlocks that resilience is knowledge, like understanding what they can do to feel empowered and to do small, take small steps toward their healing independently. And these are really simple things. Like what is the extent of their injuries? Where is their scar tissue? How can they monitor their scar tissue? How can they move it on their own right away? How can they breathe when they move to manage pressure well? You know, how can they use good biomechanics to roll in bed, to pick up their car seat, to pick up their infant? Um, how can they monitor their own physical signs that they're ready to progress exercise, like leakage and bleeding and pain? How can they monitor their own vital signs, right? Mm-hmm. How can they monitor for things like clots and cardiac events? What are red flags? Things like Infections. that. Yeah. Um, so that they do feel like they understand, okay, yeah, I could probably walk another mile tomorrow. That felt really good. Or, oh no, that felt like my edge. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're smart enough. We have enough intrinsic wisdom to know how to do that. If people just empower us with some kind of guidelines. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what Rebecca's fighting really hard for and what we've, you know, I work at a small rural hospital um, in Salida, Colorado. And so at our hospital, we deliver about a hundred babies a year. I'm sure that number's on the rise because our community is growing, but that's very different than having delivering a hundred babies a month at a tertiary yeah. hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we lack a lot of red tape that big tertiary hospitals have. We have been able to implement an automated immediate postpartum evaluation for every single person that has a baby in our hospital. Amazing. Congratulations. Therapist. Thank you. Um, but you know, we know that's not the norm across the country, but really like much of the information we're disseminating to people could be disseminated in a handout by other professionals, you know, just to say like, we know this is more information than you can take in right now. We know you literally just pushed a human out of your body, but in three weeks, when you start to move more and you start to wake up to your skin again, and you're like, wait a second, is this okay? How do I monitor this? And you have this information that someone gave you. That's really powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's also important because what that does is it helps to manage expectations. You know, like I had like a very minor surgical procedure a couple of years ago and my doctor laid out exactly what to expect day one, day two, day three, day seven, day 14, day 21, day two. I mean, it was like, yes. and so when things were happening, I was like, oh, she said this was going to happen and I'm seeing her tomorrow. So we'll discuss it. Or, oh, she said, by the time I'm at this point, I should feel this. And the management of those expectations allows you, like you said, to have a little more agency over your own body, to decrease fear around um, a a surgical procedure. So in this case, especially women who have had a C-section, I mean, that is major abdominal surgery. If someone has heart surgery or any other major abdominal surgery, they're leaving with the list of what things to do, things to look out for. And for when it's like, see ya. Yes. 
And Good it's, luck. <laughs> it's called a protocol, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a protocol that is based on scientific evidence of the histology of our tissue healing, right? <laughs> These are timelines based on averages. Cesareans are not new. Mm-hmm. We're not doing ACL repairs and sending people home without a protocol. Exactly right. what you're saying, right? right? We know pretty much on average how long it's going to take to heal and what the benchmarks are going to be. And there's, of course, outliers on both ends of the spectrum. So why we're not doing that for exactly what you said, a major abdominal surgery that interferes with our deep tissue stability system that impacts all of our, not only all of our visceral function, our bowel and bladder function, our uterine function, but impacts, you know, contributes to one of the biggest problems in our country, which is low back, low pain, back pain. Right? I was just thinking that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So exactly what you're saying, like why we're doing abdominal surgeries and not treating them the same way that we're treating other orthopedic surgeries is baffling. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of this bigger cultural issue of not prioritizing good support in women's health. Right. Right. And, and just think if women knew warning signs or New had a better grasp of expectations, perhaps we can reduce maternal mortality rates because, Mm. hey, they know like, man, I'm two days out from a baby and I'm feeling this. And it says, you know, I spoke to my physical therapist. I thought it's not normal. Get yourself to the hospital. Like this is an emergency situation. Like you said, this is a red flag. I need to take care of this. Exactly. And I think there's a lack of, uh, agency in reaching back out to physicians or feeling like we're burdening our healthcare workers by Mm -hmm. reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. You know, we think we're being dramatic or we're exaggerating because we do as women have a tendency to sort of do our buck up meditation, as I say, right. Like more of a suck up, suck it up attitude. Mm -hmm. And all the emphasis is on the infant. And so having, having a doctor say, I want you to monitor these things. I want you to come back to me if these things come up, that empowers you um, to feel comfortable. Right. Because again, if someone has a total knee replacement, a total hip replacement, an ACL, they're given those instructions. Yeah. Hey, and if this happened next day. Yes. And they're seeing a yeah. physical therapist, if not that day or the yeah. next day within three days of that surgery. Yeah. 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 For sure. For so sure. Somebody is monitoring them multiple times a week for infection, right? Right. For signs of adhesion, DVT, like these are- things like that. Yeah. Which can exactly. happen after a major abdominal surgery too. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, these are things that, that for whatever reason, have just been look glossed over or yes. turn, look the other way. Or like you said, it's all about the baby, less about yeah. the mother. When I think there should be an equal attention to both, to the baby 100%. and to the patient. Yeah. If we're not caring for the patient, right? The patient, if we're not caring for the mother of that baby, then we're not optimizing the quality of care that baby is going to receive. And we're not optimizing that mother's ability to contribute to community, to contribute not only to her family, but to her community. Right. 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 It's going to impact her work performance when she returns in way too short of a time that we're going to give her. Um, It's going to impact her presence at work, all of those things. And so everybody loses, right? Yeah, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. And on a lot of these things that we're talking about, you know, I often say like, it may not um, be life-threatening, but it can still threaten your quality of life. Sure. Which is so important. 
Right. So beyond those like r- big red flags, thing, things like DVT and uh, major nerve palsies and, you know, other things we see that are cardiac events, things that we mm-hmm. see that are really life threatening. These are things that really impact often a person's not only ability to care for themselves and care for their child, but their self-efficacy and their sense of self-worth and mm-hmm. their ability to want to put energy back into their body to feed themselves well, to exercise, to do all these things that really then impact their right. long-term health. Right, right. And also, um, I think looking at their social life, their, you know, if you think, oh, I can't you know, I can't run or I can't do this. I'm leaking. And, oh, I had a baby. This is normal. But then, well, what happens? Well, maybe they stop going to the gym, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. So then what can happen? A whole cascade of events. Like, what if that's, what if you loved going to the gym or you loved running? You were part of a running group. It was your social circle, your support team. Everything mm-hmm. starts to fall away, um, which then affects you from emotionally, physically, mentally, and of course is going to affect the way you're parenting that child. Yeah. Yeah. And that's to say like, you know, there are all these barriers to even getting to that six week follow-up visit Mm -hmm. with your OB or your, you know, doctor, which already is too late. I mean, it's just too late. Right. Right. Um, But there are so many barriers to that visit, especially for, depending on your, you know, SES and where you live. And there's a lot of racial intricacies into that and Mm -hmm. beliefs about the healthcare system, trust in the healthcare system, not to mention, you know, childcare, transportation, time away from work. Not everybody gets any maternity leave. Um, That's right. So, you know, you miss that six week visit. The one time that someone's going to screen you for certain, you know, levels of vitality. um, That's a huge problem. And then if you do go to that visit, you know, your doctor may or may not screen for all of the things that we as PTs look for, right? Mm -hmm. Or other sorts of healthcare providers or maternal care providers look for. So if those questions aren't asked of you, you may never know to ask them. Um, And then these prop, you just don't get linked to those resources that where we can really nip a a mild problem in the bud early on. Right. So then say they do go back to running and they're always leaking, but they have a prolapse that was never diagnosed and that worsens over time. And then the long term is like somebody's going to tell them there's a surgery that can fix that. And then they have this sling procedure that fails in eight to 10 years and they're mm-hmm. back in our office. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then they go through menopause and no one talks to them about how perimenopausal hormonal shifts impact their tensile forces of their tissue. So there's all these layers and it does stick with people lifelong. So when I ask my, you know, 70 year old patients about their childbirth history, they often scoff at me, but these things leave signatures in our bodies that stay with us forever. Yeah. Um, You know, yeah. I remember speaking to someone, they said, well, once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum, always postpartum. It doesn't matter what age you are. You are always postpartum. Yes. And, and that's a really important thing to, to keep in mind. Yeah. You know? And so, cause I ask patients the same thing. I ask about their childbirth history and they're like, I'm in my fifties or, you Why know, you I'm in my, my kids are <laughs> yeah. like in college. What does this matter? And I'm like, right. well, yeah. Then you start to get in there and, and mm-hmm. peel back some layers and, yep. you know, yep. Oh yeah. I've sex has just been painful forever. I don't remember mm-hmm. a time it wasn't, it's fine. I've just endured it. Right. And you're like, well, that's sad. (laughs) That's not right. 
And, you know, I'm, I want to pick up on something that you said earlier um, about people who maybe are in more rural areas, you're in a rural area, or have transportation issues, childcare issues. They can't get to their doctor after six weeks, let alone to a physical therapist once a week or twice a week or something like that. So what is there a way to work with these people online yeah. So how does that work? Cause I know that's what you've started. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about like, Hey, how does this, cause people be like, what do you mean? How can someone yeah. work with me online with my pelvic floor? How does that work? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, coming from, so just a little bit about my background, I know you've discussed it a little bit. Um, you know, I've been a pelvic health PT for about five and a half years. I'm super passionate about perinatal care. That's really my heart and soul. And, um, I've seen it go really, really well. Like, I think that the service that we're providing in our hospital is phenomenal and people do get this really beautiful through line of care across four trimesters, but I've also recognized that that is not the norm and seeing, I'm just seeing, I started seeing all these deficits in the healthcare system. So people were really slipping through the cracks in that postpartum period because of all the things we've already talked about all these barriers to getting Mm -hmm. to in-person services. Um, we also know that, you know, our healthcare system is just extremely taxed and asking our physicians to do more is a really difficult ask. Like we're all at the real edges of what we can, of our capacity in a week of how many clients we can take, how many people we can see, what we can do for them. So, um, when I have someone who's like, I can't get to that six week postpartum follow-up with you, right. With pelvic PT, um, because I don't have childcare. I'm like, bring the children get here. I will call you. We can talk on the phone. Right. And mm-hmm. because we, as PTs are always like trying to do the most for people and go above and beyond, but there are limits still to how many hours are in a day, how much we can right. stretch, um, and what we can provide to people. So in seeing all these barriers to care, um, I decided to navigate my way into more of a consulting space. So this is the, this is my answer, right? This is my answer to like, okay, traditional healthcare is not working for everyone in every circumstance. Sometimes it is beautifully. Um, and there's a time and place for everything, but when people are unable to get to a pelvic PT, right? Say they see their provider at six weeks, they get that referral. Then they have to wait another 12 weeks because the pelvic PTs in their area are so taxed and so backed up. If there is a pelvic PT in their area. If there is a pelvic PT in their area. um, Then what, right? Then we've Mm -hmm. missed the entire fourth trimester, right? This entire really vital period where people are in these early stages of healing, laying scar tissue, having the opportunity to lay a strong foundation again after all Mm -hmm. their supportive tissues have been stretched. So then what? So coming at this as a consultant um, is a way of people being able to schedule a time online with me, meet me virtually, 100% virtually. I'm not meeting with anyone in person. Have a one-hour session that is 100% individualized and then get really fundamental information that they deserve to have. So, you know, what I'm not doing is I'm not evaluating them. I can't evaluate their pelvic floor I can't diagnose them. I'm not going to tell them like, sounds like you have a prolapse, right? That's not what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I have immense respect for the profession of physical therapy and there is no substitute for in-person healthcare period. But 
there's a lot of patient education that I feel like I can disseminate in good faith, like that I could put in a book tomorrow, you know? Um, but the reason I'm not doing that is because I want it to be individualized because it mm-hmm. needs to be individualized. And so this is a way for people to have a safe space to ask their burning questions from mm-hmm. home without childcare, without transportation, naked nursing, drinking their wine. I do not care. Um, but have access to someone who is a professional with a lot of knowledge um, and who can really help them get where they need to go. So then my job as a consultant is here are the best programs, providers, resources, um, products for you right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And here are some really simple instructional videos on how to do the things that we talked about in the beginning of this talk, right? How to safely roll in bed how to monitor your scar tissue, how to breathe when you move. If they're higher level and they're starting to progress to exercise and now things are starting to come up, how to kind of build back into an exercise program or Mm. get with the trainer who can help them do that safely. Right, right. So kind of being that central point and then if necessary, you could say, hey, I know someone here who you can work with or here's this like system that I've developed because this is something I'm so passionate about and I just want to make sure you're in the best hands. Yep. Yeah. And so still doing that, you know, I'm still working in a HIPAA compliant EMR system. Everything Mm -hmm. goes, everything honors patient privacy, even though I'm not working under my license, I'm not working as a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. Um, So their privacy is completely honored, but it's just a, it's a, sheer product of feeling like people shouldn't have to wait in pain and suffering and discomfort for this information. They should have Mm -hmm. access to it as soon as they need it Mm -hmm. um, until they can get to that next provider or to that next step, but not be in a position where they're able to make things much worse than they needed to be. Right. And what have you seen with this consulting practice? What are some outcomes that you have seen with the people that you're working with? Yeah. So I've found that it's helped people avoid a lot of unnecessary intervention. So, um, you know, acute pain after childbirth with urination Mm -hmm. and being able to give somebody some really simple strategies to mobilize their tissue, to breathe differently when they sit down on the toilet, right? Recognizing that's probably a hypertonic response to that Mm -hmm. pain that's then furthering Mm -hmm. their inability to have a a bladder, to avoid their bladder. Um, Helping people understand like this is probably the mechanism. It's amazing how much people calm down when they understand why something is happening. Absolutely. Right? Yes, 100%. Like when we do labor and delivery training, we explain that the ring of fire um, during, you know, push phase is just the pudendal nerve on stretch. It's mm-hmm. just the pudendal nerve on stretch, you know, and that's a, that's something that people can kind of have as a mantra. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that same way, just empowering someone like in that position with, these are the things you're going to try. You're going to try these breathing techniques. You're going to try to do this manually for yourself. This is what you do when you're going to pee. You're going to stay super hydrated. These are the foods you're going to shy away from for the next 48 hours. Right. Mm-hmm. And something, a conversation like that prevented like a trip to the ED. Right. Um, or, you know, see, I've seen some people later in their postpartum, um, around like 18 months or so who are in that one to two year period where they're really back to all their regular activities and, and they're still having some leakage, but only at really high level mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. but never really went to physical therapy on a regular basis. 
Right. So that because they couldn't with their jobs and their kids and the realities of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they didn't really rebuild the strength of their pelvic floor and their transverse abdominis and the, that in coordination with their breath and under load and sort of right. up the load that the pelvic floor could tolerate. So kind of going right. back to the foundation and saying, here's where I want you to start again. And then I want you to integrate this slowly back into those activities. And at the point where that pressure override is too much demand on the pelvic floor, then that's where you're going to hang out for a little while. Right. 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 And then right. work your way back up. Um, so kind of everything on that spectrum from sort of people calling me with like the shock of afterbirth, you know, those early few weeks mm-hmm. um, to people that are much, much later on and are realizing that maybe regular PT isn't something that fits into their day-to-day life. And right. I feel like I can consult with people until a point where I'm the first to, to advocate for the profession and advocate for healthcare and say like, no, this is time to go see someone in person. Right. Right. And you know, that, that saying knowledge is power. It's, it's an old adage for a reason yeah. because so often just giving people knowledge doesn't have to be the hands-on care, but just giving people knowledge can help them move forward in such a meaningful way. Yeah. And I think I've felt confident starting this business and, you know, taking this little tangent in my life and taking a risk on this avenue because I started to realize that the most valuable information people were getting from me was on that first visit. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, the amount Mm -hmm. that we share with people in that day one that they've never heard from anyone else. The fact that we simply sit and talk to them for an hour at the evaluation um, and they feel heard. Right. And they feel validated and they feel like a lot of that fear is dispelled. They Um, gain more confidence. Yes. They gain so much confidence. Yeah. And oftentimes I'm like, I wish you hadn't had to wait eight weeks for us to have this chat, you know? Right, 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 right. (laughs) Or, you know, you start speaking as you're having these conversations, the patient's just looking at you like, what? Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, I, I could have done X, Y, Z, but no one ever told me. Or I could have, oh, okay. Oh, wait a second. So I think you get a lot of like light bulbs going off in in the mind of the patient or the person sitting in front of you as you're just listening intently, asking better questions. And like you said, then individualizing the information given to that person. Yeah. Often just questions that they didn't know they were allowed to be asked. Right. 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 To ask somebody about peeing and pooping and sex without making it with, with there be ab- absolutely being no judgment or stigma attached to that. Mm-hmm. That's a really rare, unusual space to be in. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of power behind that. Right. Because again, those are the things that really matter. Like we take those things for granted until they're going, until they're not going well. Right. Um, and then they're really defeating. So it's really, really important. Um, And it's not to say that I ever want people, you know, I I feel very strongly that I never want people to feel like what happened to them was wrong or other people um, didn't make the right decisions for them. Like, I really want to be an advocate that healthcare providers are doing absolutely their best. We all have a really unique scope that is to be respected and honored. Um, Everyone's doing the best with the information they have at the time right? And making the yep. best clinical decisions they have yep. at the time. I do think sometimes as healthcare providers, we take for granted the normalcy of what we do. 
the un unremarkableness of sort of the everyday and we forget to tell people why we're making the decisions we're making you know mm-hmm. so I do think that we as a healthcare community need to be doing a better job of informing people so that people can then make inform give us informed consent mm-hmm. um but my job is not to say like ooh, that really that's too bad you had that baby on your back you know my job is to say right. okay here we are you know, here we are, you have a healthy baby, let's move forward. Mm-hmm. What can we do now? Right? What can we learn from this? How can you grieve that and be where you are and do what's best for your body? Um, and so I definitely think there are things that need to be remediated in the way that we in our birth practices in this country and the way mm-hmm. that we treat birthing people in the way that we educate them and the way that we prepare them for labor and delivery and the choices that we give them. Um, but medicine serves its purpose and every situation is unique. And I just want to be there to help people out on the other side, no matter how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, thank you so much. Now, where can people find more information on you and on the consultant practice that your online consultancy practice? Yes. So um, the best place to get all this information is on my website, which is yourhearthhealing.com, hearth like a fire. Okay. Um, and I'm also on social. I'm at yourhearthhealing on Instagram and hearthhealing on Facebook. Um, those are the best places to go. If you go to my website and you want to book a session, there's just a box in the top right corner that says book now. And that takes you right to simple practice, which is my EMR. It's super easy to just pick your time. I confirm it. And then um, there's a really, really simple intake so that I'm just trying to make it as streamlined for people as possible Mm -hmm. for tired new parents. Um, And again, you know, it's just really readily available for anybody at any time postpartum. I love that you said you're always postpartum because I do think there's a void to be filled um, mm-hmm. with this business for that more early postpartum time. But I don't want to dissuade anyone who feels like they need these services at any time postpartum to come my way. Perfect. And before we wrap things up, I have one more question and it's one that I ask everyone. It's knowing yeah. where you are now in your life and career. What advice would you give to, let's say your 20 year old self? Mm-hmm. I would say imposter syndrome is real, but don't take your knowledge for granted. So don't assume that people around you that have been doing this much longer than you know more than you, because you have a unique voice, a unique perspective and unique gifts that deserve to be shared. And often that fresh perspective can really be the thing that um, leads to innovation. So be brave. I love it. I love that. Thank you so much. And again, everyone, if you want to learn more about Laura or you want to consult with her, check out her website at your hearth. That's H E A R T H healing with another H. So there's two H's in there. So your healing.com. <laughs> and of course you can always go to the website for this podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. One click will take you to all of her social media and to the website. So Laura, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate you continuing our talk on the postpartum period. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an honor. Yes. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. 
Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.